Welcome to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. The website, this show, and our newsletter all focus on making the science of advanced nutrition and greater overall health accessible to everyone. Buckle up for our latest episode to get ideas, tools, and practical knowledge you can use to improve your health and move towards your perfect version of ultimate wellness. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast shares interviews with nutrition experts, health researchers, and everyday people that have changed their lifestyle and nutrition to support greater health. You'll learn how to implement lasting change and create new habits that support greater wellness and a happier, healthier life. Please visit HealNourishGrowPodcast.com for full show notes and links to our guests. Brian Lenskis is an internal medicine physician based in San Diego, California, and has focused much of his attention on metabolic disease. He earned a Bachelor's of Science in Biology from UC Irvine before attending the University of Southern California School of Medicine, where he graduated in 1999. Dr. Lenskis completed his residency at Scripps Mercy Hospital in San Diego and served as chief resident before joining a private practice. He was a partner in a group practice from 2004 to 2020, but grew increasingly disillusioned with the standard medical model focusing on disease management rather than a more holistic, patient-centered approach. In 2020, he started his own direct primary care practice called Low Carb MD San Diego in order to focus on metabolic disorders and obesity. He is focused on patient education and medication de-prescribing for his patients. He also leads a community Zoom meeting and regular hikes with his patients in order to provide a safe and encouraging environment for patients to support each other as they improve their health. He is co-host of the Low Carb MD podcast as well as host of Life's Best Medicine podcast. He has been a speaker at multiple Low Carb USA events as well as a Low Carb Denver and has given several lectures for the Nutrition Network. He is passionate about medicine and bringing positive change to the medical community through lifestyle interventions. In his spare time, Dr. Linskis loves spending time with his family and friends while hiking or riding his road bike. Most importantly, he is happily married to his high school sweetheart and has two amazing daughters. You may have heard me mention the 21 day fat loss kickstart on the show before. Well, I have great news. It is finally available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle versions. The book is so useful, whether you're finally deciding to start eating lower carb or if you've already been doing it for a while. I share my personal experience as well as the science behind why keto and fasting are beneficial. You'll learn why you should be eating lower carb for greater health, even if you don't go all the way to keto, why prioritizing protein is so important, especially as we age, and how the 21-day fat loss kickstart protocol can help you get the scale moving again whenever you're stuck. As a special pre-sale bonus, the first 20 people to buy the book will also receive a free digital copy of my first cookbook and entrance into a private Facebook group where I'll be hosting a coached round of the 21 day kickstart. Just go to Amazon and search for the 21 day fat loss kickstart with my name, Cheryl McColgan. Then email a screenshot of your receipt to info at healnourishgrow.com and I'll send you the bonuses. I just can't wait to share this with you. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Heal Nourish Grow podcast. I know I say this every time and I'm going to say it one more, but I am so excited about my guest today. I just had a little fangirl moment before I hit the record button because I have been listening to Dr. Linskis 
for the last, I don't know, probably ever since they started the Low Carb MD podcast, which was, I believe, in 2018, along with Dr. Tro. Um, but anyway, today I am talking to Dr. Lenskis, and he is going to share with us some of his personal health history, which he has talked about on Low Carb MD podcast, but not for a long time, I think, really in, in detail. And also some of the cool and exciting things that he is doing in his primary care, direct care clinic to really impact and change people's lives with low carb. So, uh, Brian, welcome. So happy to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I, I can be a fanboy here too of you and, and what you're doing. I think it's so great because you know it takes all of us. We're all going to have a different message or a different tone or what we focus on. So it's so important. I love having more and more podcasts where people are trying to help people. You know, I yeah. think, it, you know, from all different areas, I think there's too much infighting and conflict and all that kind of stuff. We, we all have to support each other at some point, you know? Oh, couldn't agree more. And, and that's, I, sometimes I feel like we're preaching to the choir, right? Which is why I didn't want to put low carb or keto in the title of my podcast, but obviously it's a big focus of my interest in my work. Um, so while everybody has heard your bio that I kind of read before the very standard bio, can you just give some color to that and share with people a little bit about your personal health journey and, and what really led you to get into this low carb space? Yeah, you know, for me growing up, I, I was overweight as a kid. I'm giving a talk coming up in Salt Lake City and, and I was looking back at old pictures like, wow, you know, you start out and, you know, you're eating terrible food, latchkey kid, you know, family, you know, parents divorced at a young age and all that. And you wonder how much of an impact now going back because there, there's a lot that we look at as I and I had a pretty good childhood. I didn't have childhood trauma, abuse, that kind of stuff. But, you know, when you have a, you know, broken up family, dad's in another place going back and forth, all this, you know, this kind of chaos, I think contributes a bit. So, you know, growing up, I'd come home after school and we'd just see what's in the, you know, what, what kind of cereal there is. And, you know, we, we were all doing low fat. So we had Entenmann's cakes and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so as a kid, I, I was always like struggling, even though sure, I was trying to make weight for football when you're in Pop Warner and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, over time, I, you know, in high school, I started uh, wrestling and played football and I would, I cut a ton of weight. I started losing weight, stretching out hormones, all these kind of changes. And then uh, after that, and then in high school, I played football. So I'd have to get up to like 205 to play nose guard in the defensive line because I'm, I'm like 5'8", and I'm playing with guys who are 6'6", six, six, you know? And so I, had, I couldn't lose my size. <clears throat> and then wrestling, I wrestled 165. So I would lose and gain 40 pounds between seasons. So that was the un, wow. unfun part of my life at that time because I'm like, oh, everyone's going out for pizza. And I'm like, no, I'm going to have a, a, some sardines or something, you know, run and sweat and go in the sauna and do all this crazy stuff. So I always assumed that messed up my metabolism. So after high school, I started gaining weight and then, you know, college, you gain that freshman 15 and then, you know, residency and med school and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden it just started piling on. And my mom's side of the family is a disaster with heart disease. And, you know, all my uncles died at young ages, having strokes and heart attacks and diabetes complications. And they just lived their life. And, you know, it was all revolving around food and drink and parties. Right. And my dad's side was very healthy. So I was looking saying, gosh, I'm kind of, I got my mom's jeans. My mom's four foot 11. So I like, she ruined my football career, but, uh, and my dad's like six foot six one. So, you know, anyways, I started realizing, oh my gosh. And then I started practicing. And then I, I, you know, certain things I realized I observe a lot. And in residency, I knew when I was up, you know, until two in the morning stressed and, you know, you're sleep deprived and then you're getting up at four, you're sleeping for like 45 minutes or an hour. The next day I was starving all day. And I remember telling my wife at the time when we were, you know, actually we were married, uh, is like saying, Hey, uh, 
I know there's something to sleep deprivation and being hungry all the time and stress and being hungry all the time because I'm starving the day after. The other times I'm fine, but after being on call all night, I don't know what it is. And now we have tons of studies showing, yes, that's in fact the case. If you're sleep deprived, stressed, beat up, you know, it, it stimulates the hunger center. So, you know, as a doc, I start gaining weight and I'm working out. I've always worked out my entire life. I'm working out five or six days a week and I'm gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight. And I'm doing the ADA's diet and green shakes. My wife's making me, you know, smoothies for breakfast and all this. And I realized, uh oh, I'm insulin resistant. So I was actually <laughs> the the ultimate no, thing wait, was let me I was just back you up for oh, yeah. one second there. First of all, what what kind of like there was there a light bulb moment where you suddenly realized was it something that you were seeing in your patients and you're like, oh crap, that's actually what I have, or or how did you kind of get to that realization? And if you could maybe just give people a little snippet of what insulin resistant is just for people that aren't as familiar with it. Yeah. So, so really that that's kind of what took me down the road is observing patients. Cause for me, I have to look and see what's working and not working. So I know, I don't know how many years I would have an overweight middle-aged female bring in her husband, go, you need to talk to my husband. He's not eating right. And I go, what are you doing? He goes, yeah, I, he's a construction worker. And he goes, doc, I'm not hungry for breakfast. So I don't eat breakfast. And then at lunch, I'll, I'll grab a sandwich or have something. And then I have a dinner. So he's eating too. So he's basically doing intermittent fasting. All of his labs are normal. His A1C is normal. Everything's fine. I'm like, well, maybe you should start doing what he's doing. And But you don't think that. You, you say, well, you know, if you skip breakfast, that's the most important meal of the day. And you're going to shut your metabolism <laughs> down, all this stuff. I'm telling this as an overweight doctor to my skinny patient who is fit and healthy, right? He's exercising. <laughs> he's eating two meals a day. He's he's doing intermittent fasting naturally. And so it's working for him. And, and all of his labs, everything's normal. Cholesterol, triglycerides, everything's fine. So, you know, so what happened with me, I was gaining weight. I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm doing the ADA's diet. I'm doing green shakes. I'm doing you know, stuff. I'm having like Melba toast with no butter on, you know, that kind of stuff and rice crackers and living on this stuff. And then one of my patients comes in who I've been taking care of for years and he lost like 20 pounds. I look at him like, what's going on? Like first thing we think of is cancer or diabetes, right? And especially in a middle-aged guy or, you know, he's like not middle-aged anymore, like in his mid sixties and all of a sudden loses 28 pounds or something like that. And he said, well, I'm doing this crazy fast diet. And, you know, I fast two days a week, 500 calories or less. And I said, oh, what about the other days? He goes, I eat whatever I want. But I said, yeah, if you fast on Tuesday, you must be eat everything on Wednesday. He said, no, the weird thing is I'm not hungry the next day. Well, that doesn't make sense. You're not eating. You should want to eat twice as much if you haven't eaten the day before, basically. Right. So I started looking at who do I come across? Jason Fung. And I see this guy and I'm like, what is this guy selling? And at the end of the video, he's not selling anything. And he says, look, intermittent fasting at this works. I'm like, how's intermittent fasting work? It has to be calories in calories out. Like we all know, right? Like you're taking in less calories, obviously. But then I started looking at it and say, Oh, there's physiologic effects of insulin. And so I actually reached out to Jason Fung and he was very cordial and said, Hey, Brian, look, check your, these pre-diabetics, look at their insulin level and see what it looks like. So then, so insulin resistance in a nutshell is basically saying, look, if you th think of it in terms of a moving van, if you have a moving van and you're moving, which I had to do a lot during my residency when we're trying to find the cheapest place to live, uh, you know, you, you have a moving van at first, you go, oh, this is easy. We have plenty of room. Everyone just start throwing stuff in there. And then all of a sudden, when it starts getting full, you think, uh oh, we still have a lot more stuff left to put in there. So you can think of the workers as insulin. So if you only have, if you have an empty truck, meaning fat cells and liver cells, you can start throwing a bunch of stuff in there. It's not a problem. So young, healthy people, they eat extra sugar. No problem. We'll just shove it in the empty moving truck. But what happens when we get older and we fill up that moving truck now, now you need a ton of people trying to move stuff around and shove things in. It takes forever to get that extra sugar in. So what we see is we see that in the bloodstream remaining behind as extra energy. And that's diabetes. Once your sugar gets over, you know, your A1C, we call it three-month sugar average, gets over six and a half. 
or your, your sugars start rising up, then we pick it up. But we have a 10-year warning signal. Ben Bickman from BYU, who's one of my favorite professors, he showed that, that you, your insulin goes up and up and up and up before you get diabetes. So the question becomes, how come we're not checking an insulin level on every single patient, especially when we look I, at cardiovascular I, risk and bypasses and all that? I mean, don't you think that really should be standard of care at this point? Because now, from what I've learned from you and Tro and from other doctors that I listen to, another great one is um, Diet Doctor and, and all these people that really interview people like Ben Bickman, people doing the research, people seeing these things, and people like you in the clinic seeing it every single day, yet it's not part of our standard of care, which is really frustrating. But even me as like a layperson, non-doctor, the people that I work with when we're talking about this stuff, I mean, I shout it from the rooftops. I'm like, first thing you should do is get a fasting insulin, even if your A1C is normal. And it's really cheap. I have a lab service that I you can just do it out of pocket. It's like, I don't know, 29 bucks. I mean, for your health, for me, that's a pretty small investment. If you've been around my content for a while, you know that one of my favorite things is making and eating gourmet food and pairing it with wine. You might think you can't enjoy wine though while trying to lose weight or stay in ketosis. And if you're drinking traditional wine, you might be right. So many wines are mass produced and full of sugar and other garbage additives that can wreak havoc on your health goals and just make you feel bad. Fortunately, I discovered Dry Farm Wines. I've been drinking their wine for years now and I love this company. They individually test small batch wines produced by vintners that are committed to the practice of dry farm production. Some of my favorites have been the Blaufrankisch variety from Austria and all all of the wines from the Loire Valley in France. Dry farm wines are free from excess sulfites and mold that can cause adverse reactions and hangovers. With no added sugar, each wine is tested to be under one gram of sugar in the entire bottle. Yep, you just heard that right. There's less than one carb in the whole bottle of wine. They're also slightly lower alcohol, which means you can enjoy a delicious wine pairing at dinner any given night and not end up with a hangover. You can receive an extra bottle for just a penny with your first order by visiting Dry dryfarmwines.com slash heal nourish grow. I'd love to hear what your favorite wine is after you try it and be sure to tag me on social with pictures of your wine and delicious dinners. Again, that bottle of wine for a penny is at dryfarmwines.com slash heal nourish grow. I think it's worth yeah, we, it. By know, way, our, I might steal uh, your analogy in the future. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, please do anything. Yeah, anything to help people. Awesome. It's not me. I mean, Jason Fung's been talking about this stuff. We just use different concepts, right? So that's when, when I started understanding insulin resistance. And then, so for me, getting back to my story was, hey, I was in Guatemala and I had to hike this big volcano. I've always been a fit, active guy. Even though I was overweight, I, I've been an athlete still. You know, I play basketball, doing stuff. And so I'm in Guatemala and, and you know, my, the other docs with me are pretty fit and thin guys. And we, we were starting this climb on this volcano. And the guy looks at me, he's like, you're not going to make it. You need a horse. And I'm like, I'll, I don't need a horse. He goes, you're going to need a horse. He goes, look. He's debating me about, it. I go, I will die on the mountain before I take a horse up the hill with all my buddies. There's no way in heck that's happening. Because if I go halfway up the hill and I have to come back down to the volcano to get your horse, I'm charging you double. I'm like, okay, charge me triple. I don't care. I'm not doing So anyways, I make it. But then now I looked at the picture. I was like, holy cow. Now I see what the guy's saying. My, my clothes, my shirt, well, like my stomach was pulling the buttons apart on my shirt, you know? And so, uh, you know, I made it, but I sweat like a horse and, you know, it was crazy, but uh, I made it still, right? So after that, I go, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm changing what I'm doing. Then, then that patient comes in, I see that and I go, okay, I'm really changing what I do. So then I went low carb and I started losing weight. Then the problem was Professor Noakes and Gary Fetke were going through trials and my patient asked me, doc, what are you doing? You look great. And I was like, uh, can't really tell you, tell right? You. <laughs> it's not the standard of care. Here's what I'm doing, but it's not the standard of care. And here's why I'm doing it. But 
you know, I realized in that model, it was really hard to explain all this stuff in 15 minutes or eight minutes or 10 minutes. So, you know, it was a frustration because I wanted to help everyone then when I started having success. And within six months, I had 11 people come off insulin, which I had never seen before that. So I said, wow, there's something to this. It's, you know, I used to, I remember having, you know, chiropractors would say, oh, we could take your people off insulin. I was like, yeah, right. You're crazy. It, it, it's going to kill people. This is dangerous. And then when you start seeing it, you go, oh, now I know what those guys have been you know, talking about. And so that's why I think a lot of these, you know, what we call alternative practitioners have gotten it way before us Western medicine people do, because we're looking for a pill for every problem. You know, if your cholesterol is high, you have a statin drug, if your blood pressure is high, you get a blood pressure med instead of saying, you know, why is this happening? So one of the great things that's happened to medicine is we've had some of these like Ivor Cummins, some of these people who are scientists saying, wait a minute, you guys have been doing the same thing for years, but it's wrong. And here's why. And, and looking at what we call root cause, right? Yeah. And when things aren't working, it's always kind of surprising to me that we can't make a quick flip, but because of the way our medical system is set up and because of standard of care and because of, I mean, for example, how much you've talked about this before, how much uh, nutrition training did you get in medical school? How much do you focus on alternative lifestyle things like the stress and the sleep as we know are huge. And yet they just want you to prescribe pills. I mean, I, I think whenever you've said in the past that you've got like about, I don't know, what, five hours of nutrition training or something in medical school, that's just amazing to me. It was basically low fat, eat a low fat diet. That was it. That was it. Cause you're gonna have a heart attack if you eat fat. We know it clogs the drains at home. And so that was the problem. And then you look and you go, wait a minute. So let me look at my patients. And that's why when you come across people like Philip Ovedia, who's a cardiothoracic surgeon, who's carnivore, or Sean Baker, and you go, why are these guys dumb? Is this fat or what's going on? But you start looking at their science. And what they're saying is, look, high insulin level, Dr. Ovedi, who does, you know, bypass surgeries, says, I've never done a surgery on people with, with on a person with normal insulin levels, I've done a lot of bypasses on people with normal LDL cholesterol levels. So you start looking and say, okay, what else are the factors that we can look at? Because we know diabetes is the killer for all this stuff, because it, it's causing damage to endothelium, it's causing blindness, and you know, it's the number one cause of every disaster that we see. And I had had enough, I saw enough where I say, look, if I can't really help people uh, prevent these damage, I don't want to see like, it, it, you know, like I'll tell some of my patients is like, look, you're asking me to get on a ship with you to sail out in the middle of the ocean. And I see cracks in the hole and I see it taking on water and all this stuff. We got to fix those problems because it's going to sink. We have to fix that problem because you really just, you know, like taking insulin, taking all these medicines is just a patch. And then you're going to need more. And I've seen it over my career. And it's just one of those things where we were taught that diabetes is a chronic progressive disease. And now I'm saying that's, that's just not true. Yeah, and you're even getting banned from some channels for it. I, I I do post these on YouTube, so we'll have to see. I think so far this has been a very, um, you know, non-controversial conversation. But certainly, when you do start to question uh, this narrative and the, the system, you actually ended up doing something that some people would consider pretty risky. Like pretty late in your career as a doctor, you kind of divorced that system and went into what do you call it, a direct care model, right? So maybe you could talk about that a little bit because I think it feeds right into what you're saying. Like you're watching people go down this road and yet because of the standard of care that's in place, you weren't really free to share what was working for you, share the new things that you were learning from all this you know, wonderful new science that's coming out. You couldn't even really promote that in a way. Yeah, I think that's the problem. And that's why we started the podcast really. Low Carb MD was saying, hey, look, there's two docs. We're going to talk about what our experience is and what we're seeing and what we're doing. Right. And we're not going to embellish things. We're going to say what it is. And if we have to change course, we will, you know, based on the science and the data. And I'm telling you, 
over the last month, I've learned probably more than I have in the last five years, just looking at different aspects of health. And sometimes things we think are helping, it may be helping by a different mechanism than we think they are, right? It may not all be about insulin and cortisol, all this, but I do see some chronic, some, con some common uh, uh, factors, right, that in my patients, because, so, so getting back to your question, sorry, I get excited, but, you know, the point is, look, you know, in that model, it wasn't working for me. I was stressed out. I was working 16 hour days, not sleeping. I'm getting up at 430 in the morning to try to get a workout in before I head off, you know, off to the office or, you know, most of the time didn't have time in the morning because I had to go see patients in the hospital, run to my office, see, you know, 25 patients and then get back to the hospital, then come home if I ever got home. And so I started thinking, it's like, you know, if I'm looking at extending my life, if I'm working ultimately what happens a good friend of mine you know I, I he was asking why we haven't been to get gotten together for dinner for three years i'm like look dude here's my <laughs> schedule right and he goes brian if you were your own patient what would you tell yourself and i said hmm. i would tell myself to get out of that situation <laughs> so for me the reason i was working so much it wasn't because of love of money it was really saying gosh i got these people that i, I know they're going to get diabetes and i know i can help them but i'm scheduled for an eight minute appointment so i would put them before lunch and go okay i'll see you and i worked through lunch this whole time and the frustrating thing is by working through lunch, trying to really help that one person, they were part of the, the, the system where they go, just doc, why are you telling me to give up my cookies and donuts? Just give me my, my, my endocrinologist says, they'll just give me more insulin and tell you to screw off basically, because you, I don't need to do what you're doing. I'll just take more meds. And the, the question becomes, do you think insulin just makes that sugar disappear? It's, it goes back to the initial thing is if your moving truck is full, I could hire more and more people trying to shove more stuff into your truck, but the problem is your truck is full. <laughs> That's the underlying problem. We have to empty the truck out. How do we do that? Get enough sleep, get exercise, you know, watch your stress levels, all these other things we're talking about of emptying your truck. So if you empty your truck, yes, you don't need as much insulin to put more in, and then you don't burn out your pancreas because the pancreas, the beta cells make insulin. So the problem we get into is our sugars start going up. We start making less insulin. Then it, we, it's a snowball effect where you have to take more and more drugs to try to make you more sensitive to insulin. And ultimately the truck is full and you can't put more stuff in there. That, that, that's the, the simple answer. So I started realizing, gosh, I'm spending all my time. And then really the, the epiphany really for me is we were doing the podcast for a little while and I was invited to speak in Boca Raton, Florida, and I'm there. And Rob Sivis, who's one of the legends, a really brilliant guy, gave a lecture and I started talking to him afterwards. And, uh, and then I realized, and we're friends. And so I realized there was people waiting in line to see him. I said, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We're having dinner in an hour. I'm so sorry. We were just, I just got lost. And so I went to leave and the lady said, no, I'm here to talk to you. I said, me, you don't know me. And I hadn't spoken yet. I've never spoken publicly really yet. And she said, you saved my life. I said, what? She goes, yeah, I'm from Mexico city. And I'm like, who are all these people? That's my husband. He came off his diabetes. Man. Here's my son and her whole family and her neighbor. And it, it was ridiculous. Oh my God. And I was like, wow. And I thought like, wow, I'm having more impact on people that I've never even met than, or I could talk to someone in my, in my office one-on-one -on -one for an hour and they don't get it. Right. And I have someone else who's just, they choose to listen. So that's kind of where I started looking at this direct primary. Plus Tro was a huge influence. My partner on the podcast, uh, he was doing direct primary care and I saw his lifestyle and I'm like, oh my gosh, if you have people who really select and they want what you're selling, right. It's way easier because they're going to educate themselves and they're, they're bought in. Because if you're of the mindset of, I'll just take more drugs, then you're always going to be sick and you're always going to be dependent on drugs. And, and that's the problem is, so I, I, I'm cheating now because I'm selecting for people who are saying, look, I want to do low carb. I want to do keto. I want to uh, do a vegan keto, whatever, you know, and I'll try to make it, it fit your life and what works for you. Right. 
if you hate meat, I'm not going to tell you to be carnivore. If you hate vegetables, I'm not going to tell you to be vegan. So it's kind of say, okay, how do we really ultimately, I, the way I've always viewed it is, is get rid of all the processed garbage foods and fall to the end of the spectrum that works for you ultimately. But the big thing is getting rid of all the processed stuff that your body just can't deal with very well. Yeah, I so. couldn't agree more because that's where, again, in the, in the idea of, because I think people can be scared away when they hear these extremes at first. And if they're not quite, you know, you mentioned mindset and you're selecting for a certain set of people that are already there. Well, sometimes we're talking to people that are just starting to dip their toe into that. And I hate to scare them off. So I'd be like, hey, the, even if you just eat whole foods diet, that is vastly like that'll get you 90% of the way where you need to be probably if you just stick to whole foods. But yet, you know, I think sometimes, especially those of us who are in this space where we we're definitely have a little bias towards low carb or keto or what, whatever we want carnivore. And I think if we present it in that way, unfortunately, it probably does, you know, scare some people away. But I think that, you know, part of the thing that you and Trove talked a lot about on the podcast that you're starting to, I think, talk about more lately now that you've been in this longer is mindset and sort of giving people other tools like you lead hikes i think in your practice where you get people together so it's like bringing in the community aspect bringing in these sleep and stress aspects teaching people to meditate meditate not medicate but both if they need it but um definitely meditate so bringing in some new things that are you know people know about them they know that they're good for them but i don't know if they've quite tied it together as strongly with their health as you're starting to now with you know what you're doing in your practice yeah, and I think that's the big part of it. Really, my what I realized in my old practice was, look, this is a labor-intensive upfront investment I'm making in that patient. I'm basically, direct primary care is like, you know, I look at it the same way as uh, like AAA, right? I've been paying AAA for years and years and years. I've used them like three times in like 35 years. But when I call them, they're there and help me, right? So, but if I have a terrible car, if everyone on the road has a terrible car that breaks down all the time, guess what? AAA goes out of business. They cannot function that way. They're betting that you're going to upgrade your car every once in a while, that you're going to have a functional car that's not going to be breaking down every day. Because otherwise, they can't tow everyone at the same time, and it's a disaster. And I think that's where our healthcare system, everyone needs towed every day, pretty much. So I've seen patient, patients over and over. And in the insurance model, there's a vested interest on seeing the patient more often because you get a copay and you get all this stuff every time you see the patient. For me, it's like, hey, if I can make you healthy and you don't need me all the time, guess what? Then I can, I'm freed up to help all those other sick people who need to get on track, right? Who are invested in themselves and who want to get better. Because the cost of direct primary care for most of us, you know, it's hundred bucks a month or 150, depending on, on, on age and comorbidities and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, if you're paying $500 a month on medicines, that's it. And, and we can get you off medicine. That's it. You're saving money every month and you're getting Cadillac care because instead of having 2000 patients, as I did in my old practice, I have about 400 patients. So guess what? I have way more time. Just think about doing an annual exam on 2000 patients. That's what doctors are up against. You have an annual exam that people are doing every year. So that just that with 2000 patients, do the math and see, and then all the sick people and, and acute problems. So these doctors are just the physician burnout is the next pandemic that's coming. It's here. And doctors are burned out. They're a cog in the wheel. But when you realize, look, I could be more effective if I have fewer patients and take really, really good care of them, right? And because, and I'm saving the system at the same time, because look at the diabetes complication, number one cause of blindness, number one cause of heart attack, right? Number one cause of amputation, number one cause of early death, all these things that we're seeing and kidney failure, dialysis, all those kind of things. So saying, okay, let's do preventive care. It's not sexy, right? You're not going in and fixing the engine and say, I'm going to replace your engine. It's like, well, let's just kind of change your oil and change the 
the, the, the spark plugs every once in a while and do these things that keep you running well. And when people are running well, they start feeling better. And then guess what? Like you're saying, it's so easy to overwhelm people, but saying, Hey, can we start like just giving up soda? I have a guy, he lost 36 pounds in six weeks, just giving up soda. And I look like a genius, right? As I'm not that smart, I just say, look, you can't drink six sodas a day and lose weight. It's a disaster. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. We'd also love it if you could post a review on iTunes. It helps us so much by allowing others to more easily find us. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast wouldn't be possible without listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show you know, for your gut microbiome, for your, 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 your system, your teeth, everything. So those kind of things, you know, if you're eating cereal five times a day, can we cut down to three times a day? If you're drinking every day, can we do it two days a week, whatever to start with. And then what happens is over time, when people get healthier, they say, yeah, I really just don't have an urge to drink all the time. I don't need to have soda all the time. And then what happens a lot of times I see this, we see this progression where once they get metabolically healthy, they go, yeah, I don't need to eat four meals a day or six meals a day anymore. I feel great with eating two. I'm not really hungry till two. So I just eat then and I stop. And it's not a big deal. It's not like they're using willpower and, and struggling because the physiology, if you're, if you get healthier, you're not starving all the time and you're not, you're no longer a slave to food and food calling you all day. And what am I going to have for a snack? And you panic if you miss a meal, you know, those kind of things, which, you know, I remember being at my desk and I was so busy and I would shove a sandwich down and shove stuff down really quick between patients real quick. I thought I was going to die if I didn't eat lunch. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you, you and, and maybe at that time I would have, if I was so metabolically sick, but you, know, you start realizing we, we, we really have to do better in medicine because the upfront investment is what's going to pay off down the road. Right. When someone says, look, I'm going to make these lifestyle changes and just like anything, some people are going to want to jump in the pool and start swimming and other ones are going to get slow in and out till they get used to the water temperature. So it's what works for you. And I think that's the biggest thing that we've missed is we're not mice, believe it or not. So people do mice study. They go, look, you get 500 calories a day and you do this and you do that. And they're fine. It's like, well, mice aren't getting divorced. They're not losing their jobs. They're not dealing with COVID. They're not stressed out about what they're seeing on the news. So we have to be able to say, okay, how do we manage our stress in a different way? How do we make sure we're getting enough sleep? How do we simplify our life a little bit, right? Because, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses when they're multimillionaires is going to be kind of tough on your stress levels. And that all plays into this. No, I, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you. If you ever, I mean, not that you would, but if you ever read some of the stuff that's in the one book that I'm working on, it's like, you just said so much of it. And I think, you know, I think it's trying to prevent people from overwhelm is one of the greatest kindnesses. All we are is like, what, five years kind of in, ahead of people on this path of, of, of doing these things and eating low carb. But th that means we've had five years of practice. And so we know. And, you know, some of the things that you mentioned, like you thought you were going to die. I was I'm telling people kind of in case people haven't heard the word hangry. I, mean, I think everybody has mm -hmm. by now. But I described that in the book and I'm like, that was me. I never imagined that I could go an extended amount of time without eating. Like I really, I would get hangry and grumpy and, and it was kind of a big joke in my family. And, and my, you know, it was always, um, every time I'd see my dad and they're like, oh, we can't miss a meal. You know, we want Cheryl to be happy, you know? So um, even though I was never um, severely obese or severely overweight, I definitely still had markers of living a high carb snack wells, low fat, you know, being brought up in all that existence, I would have loved to have seen my fasting insulin at that point, because I, I guarantee it was not healthy. Um, but speaking of healthy, you mentioned metabolic health, and this is something that's definitely a big buzzword in our community that a lot of people are talking about. There's a standard definition that I've talked about on the podcast before that involves waist circumference, your LDL cholesterol, um, couple of other factors that yeah, are triglycerides, blood pressure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> metabolic syndrome. Yeah. Would you, 
are there any things that you've been seeing in the practice where you might change that characterization a little bit if you were in charge of what is really metabolically healthy? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, and that's the thing, you know, I, I think really looking at it, I, I saw a lady yesterday, she's 423 pounds, but her visceral fat isn't that high. And I don't have her labs back yet, but I'm saying, well, based on her visceral fat being pretty, which is visceral fats, the fat around the organs, the subcutaneous fats, the love handles, the butts and thighs and all that kind of stuff. So when a premenopausal female, you're predisposing to uh, most people, there's genetic differences, but you, you, you're going to store more fat out in the, in the breast tissue, in the, in the butt, hips, you know, outside where we can see it. The problem becomes once you become menopausal, we get dysfunction in that and you lose estrogen, progesterone effect, and then it starts going viscerally then heart attacks go up and stress and strokes and you know inflammatory markers and all those things start going up so yeah you can look at someone and say they're metabolic and i see by the same token i see people who look healthy and you get their lodging like oh my gosh you know one of my guys was 160 pounds 158 pounds i'm like you're uh, he's of indian descent his a1c was normal all these other markers look pretty good except his triglycerides were elevated that's one of the markers low hdl right that's one of the markers and his insulin was 58 I was like, it, was just, it should be less than five if you're healthy, right? Wow. So I was like, oh my gosh, you're sick and you don't realize it. He was, yeah, but my A1C is 5.2. Don't worry. I'm like, yeah, but your trains, your, your truck is full, right? I'm explaining this to him. So he says, doc, don't worry. And I said, let's see in three months. Three months, his A1C went from, from 5.2 to 6.4. 6.5 is diabetes. So at 160 pounds, and I'm like, look, you're having non-bread. You're having yogurt. Yeah, you're having like, uh, I mean, sugary yogurt, uh, 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 mangoes with sugar sauce on it all. Oh, he's eating it, rice, everything, tons of carbs. I go, you're in a ton of carbs, you're in trouble. Your dad has diabetes, your brother has diabetes, and you you have diabetes now, right? 6.4, tomorrow you're gonna have diabetes at 6.5, right? So he goes low carb, we get him down to a 5.1 A1C, drop his insulin from 58 to like 22 or something like that within three months. And he's doing great. Then he's lost for follow up for a year, comes back, A1C 7.9, went back to his old diet habits, right? Now, the guy is a machine. He went low carb and he's crushing it. I mean, his numbers are stellar. I mean, you look at him and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's the same guy. It's ridiculous. So that's exciting. And his, his metabolically healthy. So there's a lot of factors. And I would say, look, uh, you know, some of the biggest thing, a good friend of mine, Ben Bacchicchio, who's a workout guy says, look, muscle mass is the biggest thing. You know, I often talk about just being 1% better every day. Well, ButcherBox believes in better. For them, better means caring about animals and the planet, treating the planet with respect, and it means improving the lives of animals and the livelihoods of farmers. Their beef is grass-fed and grass-finished, chicken is free-range and organic, turkey is free-range, pork is humanely raised, and salmon and scallops are wild-caught. I've been using ButcherBox for a couple years now and it was a godsend having such high quality meat delivered to my door during the pandemic. If you're interested in saving money and eating healthier, this is the perfect service for you. You can always get a fantastic deal at ButcherBox by using my link, but for a limited time, ButcherBox is giving new subscribers two pounds of ground beef in every box that you receive for life until May 8th, 2022. So if you're a ground beef lover, go take advantage of this offer. Check my show notes for the link or just go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash H-N-G butcher box. But having muscle mass, because you could be skinny and have no muscle mass, guess what? You're in trouble still, right? You gotta put on some muscle mass you, you, this, from an osteoporosis standpoint, you know, broken hips and all those kind of things. Uh, keeping that insulin level as low as you can. So. 
Ben Bickman, who I respect a great deal, and he, he actually may have saved my life in a way because I met him at a medical conference. He's one of the uh, metabolic health guys at BYU. And so he says, you know, I said, Ben, look, if I want to live a long life, what do I got to do? And he goes, oh, Brian's easy. Five things, right? Number one, don't run around like you're stressed out all day and, and you know, be stressed intense. I'm like, this is back when I was stressed intense, working 16, like, 18 oh. hour days every day, you know, knock, 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 doctor, hurry. There's five people waiting. You gotta hurry. You're working through lunch. You're going to be honey. I'm not going to be home for lunch I'll, I, for dinner. I'll be, you know, that kind of stuff all the time. That was the, the standard of care. Right. And then he says, okay, get enough sleep. I was like, I live half an hour from my office. I was driving and now I live two minutes from my office. Right. I can walk here and whatever. So I'm like, Ben, I don't like your rules. I'm over two. And he goes, yeah, that's why doctors die younger than everyone else. I go, what's number three, eat real food, right? Cut out processed food, eat real food. Next one, uh, don't smoke or drink to excess and exercise regularly. He goes, that's all you have control over. And you look at that and you go, okay, these were important things. Let me try to simplify my life, right? So that's why I had to go back and say, okay, I'm going to take a financial hit and that's going to be stressful a little bit, but I'm not going to be working 16 hour days. I'll have control of my schedule. If I need a day off, I can take a day off. If I want to go see my dad, I can go see my dad because I had no flexibility. I was booked down. This is what, so people have compassion for your doctors. I was booked out a year for annual exams. So if someone called me tomorrow and said, I need an annual exam, it'll be a year from now when you get it. Now people call me and they go, Hey, I need an exam. I go, do you want to come today or tomorrow? right? I have openings. I have a place to put you. It's not a big deal because I'm not working 20 hours a day. Every once in a while I can work at, you know, 16 hour a day. I don't care. So, you know, having accessibility to medicine is really important. And I think that's what's happened, you know, looking at the whole system and you go, gosh, we've lost our ability to keep people healthy. So now when everyone's a train wreck, you're spending so much effort and time. The problem is really there's a vested interest. You know, before I left my old practice, I was pretty much the number one money maker for this HMO plan. And I said, Hey man, and I trained with the guy and I go, Hey, uh, I'm leaving. And here's why he goes, Brian, are you having a midlife crisis? What's going on? Are you buying a red sports car? What do you, I'm, well, no, I'm just looking at the system and it doesn't make sense because every year you make me jump through more and more hoops. I'm here trying to help my patients. I'm working tons of hours. I'm killing myself doing it. And you're penalizing me for not seeing enough patients. Right. But if I see more patients, I can't spend time to explain lifestyle that can save their life. And then all I'm going to do is have all these, I said, look, come to my, come look at my charts. I, and at that time, I think there was like 58 people that I could document saying, look, based on this, this, and this, they were going to get diabetes. They were going to get diabetes it, and we, we prevented it. And I said, do you know how much money I'm saving you in amputations and blindness and all this crazy stuff? And he looked at me and said, well, Brian, you don't understand the system. He said, you're costing us money. And I said, how am I costing you money? He said, because once they get diagnosed with diabetes, we get paid this much more from the government right? We get paid more for the bad diagnosis. So the sicker the patient gets, the more we get paid. And like, do you not see that as a conflict of interest? That's why I can no longer be in the system because my job is to, to my patient to keep them safe. But you're saying- You took an oath for that. They we took an that. oath for that. That's what we were called the medicine to do. So like, look, if I lose a few bucks, but I'm helping people and they come in and we can have fun, like all the time now in direct primary, this is why I love it. Because before I was like going, oh gosh, cognizant of saying, okay, I got people waiting. I got to hurry. So yesterday I had two patients tell me, hey doc, you know, I'm having a good time, but I got to go. I got a meeting I got to get to, right? <laughs> like online. And it's funny because it's such a switch. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Like, oh, I got free time. I can go do research for 20 minutes. Then if you don't need your whole hour, right? I'm, I'm here for an hour. We, we can BS and talk about the kids and have fun. And, but, but you had mentioned like, we, you know, I get together with my patients and we go for a hike every two weeks. And then between that, so every week we're doing something. So between that, every two weeks, we do a Zoom meeting. We get the whole community together and say, okay, what are you struggling with? Some people are just starting out. Some people have been doing it for two years. 
And so we say, oh, you know, you're, you're hungry when you get home from work. Well, what are some tricks people do? I can shut up and step back and let them all talk and they help each other. And they all want to help each other because they say, oh, that used to be my problem. And here's what I'm doing. And, you know, so anyways, so getting back to your original question, metabolic health, I think it has to do, there, there's a lot of it, but I think mental stability is a huge one. The biggest shock I had, Tro and I talked about it early on on the podcast was that people are coming saying, you know, I'm laughing more. I'm having fun. I'm not as stressed. I'm sleeping better when they change their diet. So I was like, well, if you're sleeping better, guess what? Your stress gets better. Like I said in the beginning, if you're sleep deprived all the time, you're always going to be hungry and you're going to be hangry and grumpy. Like what you're talking about. It's like, okay, if we can fix that sleep problem, great. If we can fix the or, or sleep apnea problem, right? And, and, and that's going to stress, affect the stress hormones. We can get you healthier. So when people are sleeping better, they're enjoying life, they're taking care of themselves, they know they're on the right path. Even if they have a long way to go on the path, they're on the path. When you know you're off the path and you know you're just out of control, that is a really scary place to be. And so, you know, th that's what's so great. And with direct primary care, we can hold their hand a little bit more and going, look, you're having struggles. Some people, as, you, as you'll learn, it's a personality. Some people, it's just like with alcohol. Some people can have one drink and they go, okay, I'm done. I had a drink and I'm good. Other people have one drink and they're, in the, and, you know, they're gonna end up in the back alley, you know, DUIs and have all kinds of trouble. So it's really figuring out for yourself what type of person am I? What type of person am I? I have some people that say, look, doc, I'm not, I love sourdough bread. So I'm going to have a piece every couple of weeks. Is that okay? Is that a deal breaker? I'm like, no, that's, that works. But guess what? After two or three months, I go, yeah, I really don't need it anymore. They don't care. Right. But if you say, no, you can't, I never have it again. And then it, it, it causes so much stress. And that's a big thing. We have to like understanding that individual in front of us, right? When you understand the patient and look, I have my struggles. We all have our struggles and you go, okay, look, we're on this boat together, but you know, I think when you get out for a hike together with people, just talk about life, what's going on. You, you're going to learn way more about that person. And I could do it with 12 people at one time. And we could say, Hey, I'm having marriage struggles too. Here's, you know, what, what are you doing? How, are you getting counseling? Whatever, you know, and not just being stuck in a, in a uh, office environment. You know, there's something about just being outside and being healthy and, and you're walking and you're exercising at the same time. So I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do it anyways. We might as well do it together. Yeah. I'd right. love that so much. And you touched on so many wonderful things right there. I hope that people really take it in because I, I try to talk about this a little bit. I, I've been a big fan of, of hearing some of you doctors talk about the struggle with the system. And um, it really illuminates to me, like it's not your doctor's fault that they're not up to date on all the latest research because they literally, like the days that you described before you went to your model now, you literally had no time for that. Now you have the ability to talk to interesting doctors all over the world, do research, read, read whatever is the latest study coming out and really learn how, how the, you know, take what's the latest science, not stuff that we've just been told for 30 years and put it to work. So I hope that people really take that in that, you know, we want to have obviously empathy for our doctors, but at the same time, like hold them to a little bit of a standard, like, you know, bring something to your appointment where like, if you're really trying this and it's working, you never know where somebody like me coming in and being like, oh, I lost 20 pounds and my A1C is all good and blah, 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 blah. And you might, it might be like you, what happened to you where you said, hey, there's something to this. I should maybe look into this a little bit more. Yeah, um, absolutely. So and I think kind that, of balance there, I think. <laughs> yeah. And that's a frustration. You know, you see, I have patients, there's a major HMO plan here in California across the nation and they will not order an insulin level. They won't order an A1C. I mean, I have patients come to go, I've been begging my doctor just to get an A1C. It's like my whole family has diabetes. They said, no, it's not part of it. because 
the system is so screwed up that the doctor gets penalized if they order different tests, right? So people don't want to order stuff. So it's like me, like, what do you want? I'll order whatever you, I don't care. Like, as long as I can interpret and understand it. But the problem is the doctor doesn't understand the test. They don't understand the implications of a high insulin level and, and insulin resistance. They just say, okay, once you cross over it and you can see it and, and it's so frustrating because I can look back when I get the records, I'm like, man, this, this diabetes that you have was coming on for the last 10 years. I saw it like a train coming 10 years ago. And here's why. Look at this and look at this. Look at your triglycerides. Look at your HDL. And you could see it without even getting an insulin. You could tell pretty much based on the labs and, and exercise levels and sleep and stress and all these things. So it's frustrating because we wait. It's like, who wants to wait to say, oh, yeah, you just blew up your engine. Now we're going to start changing your oil. It's too late. That's the problem is once these people get up and you have to realize from the patient's perspective, once I diagnose you with diabetes, guess what? Life insurance rates are going up. Long-term care goes through the roof. Everything, it, the patient gets totally destroyed in the system. And the doctor's thinking, oh, good. I get a code a little bit higher, right? <laughs> so the doctor's making a little bit more money every month off you and the system's, and, and that's just the truth of what it is. So it's, I don't even think it's controversial. I mean, you ask any doctor and they'll tell you that's what it, I mean, they may not say it publicly, because I'm outside the system, so I can yap a little bit. But that, but that's the truth. Is you look and you go, who am I working for? Because ultimately, I had to decide. I'm working for my that patient in front of me. I don't really don't care what the, what the nutritionist thinks down the road. And I really don't. I hope that I can bring them on board, and I'll be cordial to you. But, you know, slap on a continuous glucose monitor, do your diet, and do mine, and see what happens, right? And, and <laughs> right. you know, Fat Fiction, the movie, does a great job of showing that. So. I'm telling you, I love it because my patients will call me. Hey, did you see my sugars? Look what happened. Guess what I had? <laughs> Orange chicken. Good luck. I've never seen, I can tell you for a fact, certain things. You will not eat Chinese food without spiking your sugars like crazy. You will not eat Thai food. You will not have pho, Vietnamese soup. It will spike tell it like crazy. I have an orange chicken version that he can actually eat. <laughs> My, oh yeah, if you could do it. Yeah, if you make it yourself, it's totally different. My medical right. assistant, she gave me permission to talk about, she weighs like 96 pounds. She's young, healthy, fit and all this stuff. And I, we have a CGM on her and it's hilarious. She goes, did you see my sugars? Look at this. I had a Snapple and I had an orange chicken. Look at that, it was like ridiculous, right? I mean, over 200 and a young, healthy, you know, a young, healthy female. And, and she looked and like, what is that gonna do to a diabetic? Forget it, you're done. It's a disaster. So then you're gonna say, oh, my sugar's high, shoot more insulin. And then you get insulin resistant. Then you get into this, this snowball, this cycle, and you're hangry all the time and you're tired and you're fatigued and your joints hurt. And, you know, I think, you know, I would say the biggest, the biggest thing that, that kind of goes with what we're talking about and is worth looking into is the effect of the gut microbiome. I'm telling you, mm -hmm. I just had William Davis on, he has a new book and I don't have any financial interest in him, but I do have a lot of medical interest. It's called super gut. And it's astounding. The amount of medical problems, autoimmune disease, depression, anxiety, stress, uh, uh, um, food allergies, all this stuff that have to do with the gut microbiome. And in my research, cause I, you know, for me looking at it, I see people who go through, like I, I've seen it so many times where people cut their life stress for two weeks, like over the holidays, I've had people in there, you look in there, I see their continuous glucose monitor and go, oh my gosh, you're eating terrible stuff. And they lose eight pounds, six pounds, four pounds, 22 pounds. <laughs> Cutting stress out, stress is a killer. And I've known that, and guess what? high insulin, high cortisol screws up the gut microbiome and it messes with your, with your uh, ability to digest food, right. And your satiety signaling. So you screw that up. I mean, it really comes down to satiety, right? Calories in calories out sounds great, but look how many obese people are trying to, they're counting their calories or exercise. They're doing all this stuff. But if you don't fix the underlying pathology, you're in trouble. So I have a lot of people who've done liquid diets. They lost 50 or hundred, 150 pounds, but they gain it back every single time. It's not sustainable. 
because your body is telling you, oh, oh you're, you're starving. You need to eat more. You need to eat more. And, you, and sooner or later, your brain gives in. You cannot, you can't, it's not sustainable. So having muscle mass, having protein, you know, keeping your, your, your mental functioning good, getting good nutrition, because if you're eating all processed food for 500 calories a day, good luck. It's going to be a disaster. You're, you're going to look good for a little while for the wedding or whatever you're trying to get to. But health-wise, it's a disaster. Metabolically, I see people very metabolically sick, even though they're losing weight. So it's not necessarily about the weight. It's about the body composition of muscle and fat and visceral fat, right? So it, it's a big picture. And I think we're going to learn a lot more over the next couple of years. But you know, I think we all learn from each other. And it's, it's really critical to do that. Yeah, I'm really excited about all of that. And that's something that I have learned from the people that I listen to and talk to every day is, is the, the importance of muscle mass. And and when I've spoken recently, like keto diet and stuff, that's what I'm talking about. Like I always talk about fasting and changing your diet at the very least going whole foods, but talking about, of course, keto and some of the benefits of ketosis, but the benefits of having muscle mass, you can... I think part of the reason that, you know, we talked about people in their 20s and 30s, you can get away with a lot more because the moving trucks open while people in their 20s and 30s also have more muscle mass. And that gives you more capacity in the truck. Like instead of going around in a little U-Haul, you've got the giant cross country mover thing that you can put things into. So it just, it exactly makes right. it that much easier when you have muscle mass. So for people like me hitting, you know, in the menopause going into 50, it's, it's even more because I have not been as good at about it over the years, even though I've always known that I need to be lifting weights. I just hate it. I want to go on hikes. That's what I want to do. I want to be outside. I yeah. Like and you, so and you could do that. There's a lot of stuff you can do if you hate certain exercises, but you know, like Ben DiCicchio, I love the guy. He does a 15 minute workout, weight bearing exercise, and it's been shown to be beneficial in so many areas of, of medicine. Right. And, and, um, my, uh, my, sorry, my re voice recorder started messing me up. I don't know how it automatically kicked on. Sorry. Well, it has to do that right in the middle anyway, of the podcast. I know you have a patient coming in. So I like check me on time here. Cause I could just let you, I mean, you have so much. You can let me just ramble on and, and, you, but... and go on tirades here. Um, yeah, no, I think I'm good till, uh, for a little bit, unless you got to oh, go. Awesome. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for it. Let's keep going. All right. Awesome. Let me just double check my schedule make sure I'm not causing any trouble. No, I'm good for, <laughs> I'm good for about 15 more minutes. So okay. we can, you can cut it whenever you're free. But yeah, so putting on muscle, if you hate exercise, go, okay, can I do three minutes a day? Can you, can you stand against the wall like this while you're on the phone? Yeah, right? right. You can just squat down. You don't have to squat all the way down to 90 degrees. Just stand there. And we have people that will go into metabolic, you know, their, their heart rate goes up and they start sweating just from that. You know, because they're so, can you stand up and sit down on the couch? Can you, can you do a couple squats before lunch or after lunch or whatever? Those kind of things play, pay huge dividends. Can you do a standing desk for a few minutes? Right. Um, so, so looking at it and there's also something that's very intriguing called zone two training right that people are doing and i always thought it was kind of like i don't have time for this kind of stuff i do interval training but what i'm finding is my ketones go through the roof meaning you're burning fat when i'm doing a sustained you know keeping your heart rate at like 180 minus your age doing that for 45 minutes i'm seeing huge huge benefits and you know and then looking at the gut microbiome and getting your gut health right there's so many things we can do just just sipping bone broths or green tea and things like that seem to help, you know, along those lines. And so there's a lot we can do. And, and I think, you know, when I started realizing the impact of stress, stress is the killer, right. Of all of this. I mean, that is the common denominator. Like I said, screws up the gut microbiome, screws up the stress hormones, you know, more likely to get colitis and all these, these autoimmune problems because stress will destroy the gut lining. And then all of a sudden you're absorbing all these things. And, and, and it sounds like crazy hocus pocus stuff, but there's something called lipopolysaccharides that are in the bad bacteria in your intestine. And when you start killing them off, you absorb those. If you have no protection, you absorb that systemically. Depression, anxiety, stress, you know, fevers, you feel like 
you're dying. And they did a study in Germany. They injected people with a little bit of this lipopolysaccharide. They're young, ha happy college students. The world's great. And then within hours, they're depressed and anxious and stressed. So you wonder, gosh, yeah. how many people are just getting poisoned by their own gut, right? And, and what can I do to protect that? But things like sauna, meditation, prayer, yoga, whatever, all this stuff that people go, I don't have time for that stuff. Well, you can better make time because that's going to help you more than, you know, I'm telling you, I see people on a low carb diet, keto diet, they're doing pretty well. Sugars are flat. They're not losing weight. It's like, how's life? Oh, I'm fighting with my husband all the time. I'm miserable. I, I hate my job. And I, I was like, you got to find some enjoyment. You got to find something you enjoy. Like you having passion to write a book and do this stuff and you, you, you put it down on paper. It's creativity. It's a pain in the butt, but it's, it's a good thing, right? It's going to, cause you know, the final event is you're going to help a lot of people. You're not going to make a ton of money writing a book. I know that from my friends who wrote books, <laughs> Especially but you know, I don't have any letters behind my name. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, I think better. there's, I can be a little freer with it. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people with a lot of letters behind their name that have no idea what they're talking about. And having life experience is what's important, you know, in business, having street smarts is going to be a lot more uh, valuable than uh, a big degree. So that that's what happens sometimes. The good thing is when you don't have letters behind your name, you have to work harder, right? And you have to prove <laughs> yourself and you bring in friends who have letters behind their name too. They say, yeah, what you're saying is reasonable because there's a lot of people with a lot of letters who are giving terrible advice. And that's kind of what Tro and I said, we have to step up and at least say, Hey, look, look at this, try it out with your patient. If it's not working, go, go on to the next thing, you know, cause everyone has seen Dr. Oz and, you know, Oak bark or whatever, whatever you're hawking this week, all these things have come and gone. They've come and gone right? Like, oh, I'm going to have this, you know, the oatmeal of diet or whatever you're doing, cabbage soup diets. And, you know, you start realizing if you deprive too much, it, it, it's a big picture. It's a big picture. And we have people like Verta who are crushing it. We have a lot of people who are doing, they're, they're able to reach a lot more people and teach them sound nutritional advice. And guess what? Their medical problems get better. The problem with medicine too, is that we've we're saying, hey, look, if someone has diabetes, talk about lifestyle change and diet and exercise. But then the problem is when we talk about that, they say, well, don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> You're a doctor. You shouldn't be talking nutrition. Let the nutritionists do it. Well, the nutritionist is paid by industry and they're giving bad advice because they're like, if you tell them to eat my product all the time, I'm self-marketing. And so the con conflict of interest, and I think that's why I got kind of banned, I think, because really we weren't even... Uh, of all the, I, I got kicked, for people who don't know, I got kicked off YouTube for, I've never been banned from anything in my life ever. And I'm like, and it wasn't even a controversial episode in my opinion, but we were talking about what we were seeing in clinic and, you know, some of the, the problems with medicine. And they said, well, that's medical, uh, what's it called? Uh, misinformation. I was like, but this is what I'm seeing. How can it be misinformation? I'm seeing it, right? If I see you people getting better on the farm, how can it be misinformation that's happening? <laughs> Am I delusional? And we're all just in a fantasy land here? It's working. So, well, and that's, that's a what a you know, different conversation on censorship, which is really frustrating right now for a lot of people in the health space. But, you know, one person, you might get banned for this. Maybe you'd have to put it on one of those alternative networks. But I'd love to hear you talk to the former American Diabetes Association president. Remember how she went low carb and then shortly thereafter she quit? And I keep meaning to look into this. I don't know if part of that was because of the conflict of interest in her mind after she figured this out? I mean, do you know any background on that? Or have you ever thought about talking I to her? I don't, but I like to think about it because when she came on board with low carb and, you know, they put that in the guidelines, by the way, which was a big relief to us. Cause I could say, look, I'm practicing your guidelines. Low carb right, keto, right. the most studied for diabetes. I'm not crazy here anymore. Maybe I'm crazy, <laughs> but not for this reason. But the point is like, what a conflict of interest. Here's the problem she was in. And I knew it was going to be a problem. I'm like, I wonder how long she'll last because 
when you're sponsored on this side by pharma and you're sponsored on this side by big food and you say, hey, guys, look, we can decrease pharma's income and we can de decrease big food's income and we can make you healthier. Guess what? You lose all your sponsors and that's a financial hit to your company. Mm -hmm. So that's why on my podcast, I don't have sponsors, you know, that, that I have to cow down to and say, okay, everyone should be eating Nestle's cookies because they're sponsoring me. No, of course not. It's a conflict of interest. So I think it's those kind of things. There's so many conflict of interest. Whenever I look at a study, I go, who's, who's paying for this study? Right. right. And then I know what the, what the, you know, I know what the outcome is going to be. We know the outcome before you do the study is the problem. And so there's a lot of misinformation or, or sometimes the headline of the study, you know, like we see so many times in the newspaper, the headline doesn't match what the story is. When you read the story, it's like, well, that's not what the study is. Half the time. Yeah. So it doesn't match the study. You're like, wait a minute, that's not what the study is showing. And so people who have scientific backgrounds are looking at it. And then a lot of these people don't want to release the raw data. And so there's so many conflict of interest when you look, it's like, okay, where, where's the money and the power going? And then you start looking at it. It's like, look, I'm not here to su support you. I'm so here to support my patient. And I think ultimately that's what we kind of start realizing is, look, we, we have to do what's in our patient's best interest. Because my patients ultimately are going to look to me and go, wait, you told me this, right? You told me this. You told me never skip breakfast. I'm like, now you're telling me to fast all day, right? I'm like, yeah, here's the data that I'm saying. The data at that time, uh, in medicine, we just pass everything down. We just pass it down and no one says, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. So I'm shooting my patient with insulin. I'm giving them a bunch of sugar. And then once I stop giving the sugar, then I have to shoot the insulin to get rid of the sugar. I'm not giving them anymore. And they go, well, that's dangerous. Well, why is it dangerous? I don't know. It just is because <laughs> that's what I learned. So, you know, all that Dr. kind of Fung stuff. Dr. Fung did a good job with that, finally kind of getting that thought process and really distilling it for people. Because whenever he explains that, I'm like, how can even, how can anybody even argue with this man? You know, <laughs> Well, you know, and he gets, and I'll tell you, he gets his share. And, I, and it's funny because he doesn't get to the fray. So in the past, I would just jump in and go, hey, why are you treating him so bad? I, I would defend him publicly, like on Twitter and stuff. But then you realize all these people are attacking him, have an agenda. It, you know, like he got brutally attacked for a week or two. I'm like, what did he do to upset everyone? And then the next week, all these same people were picking on. There was a new obesity medicine drug that came out, right? right. All the same people start pushing. I was like, oh, okay, right? And I'm telling you, and someone called them out and said, hey, you're taking money from pharma. No, we're not. They said, you're taking money from this company who's representing pharma. And they all deleted their posts, right? Oh, There's a conflict of interest. And, and when someone's paying you to tweet, I, I've never been paid a dime for, any, uh, for anything I do, actually, except my job. But on Twitter, never taking a dime, right? Never taking a dime from me. And I never will because it's my thoughts. It may be controversial, it may be crazy, whatever, but that's what I'm thinking that day, right? I'm not going to pay someone to tweet for me or put social media stuff up. But I think that's part of it is, is there's such a huge conflict and you have to pick who you're following closely. And, and the people in the low carb community, the thing I love about them is their integrity. Like, you know, Dr. Gary Fetke, uh, uh, Tim Noakes, these guys, they could have just walked up in the sunset and been celebrated the rest of their lives. And they said, look, we can't leave with providing misinformation. He, you know, Noakes was the guy who talked about carb loading. That was his thing. And he had enough courage to say, I was wrong. And I think in life, that's a life lesson. I always like to give life lessons. Like, look, be able to say, you know what? I used to think that, but I was wrong. Like my patients, when I went low carb, I'm like, yeah, I used to think that you had to have so many carbs with these meals, but you don't. And here's what we're going to do. And then they get better. So I could say, well, I said this five years ago, so I'm going to keep saying the same thing. Or I say, well, evidence has changed. And my clinical experience tells me what's happening. So that's why, you know, I'm, I'm just so excited to be here. And thank you for the invite. And, uh, you know, sorry we rambled for so long. This has been the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. 
Again, I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. You can find show notes for this episode at HealNourishGrowPodcast.com. If you have feedback on today's episode or questions about the content, please email us at podcast at HealNourishGrow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to sign up for our email list at HealNourishGrow.com and subscribe to the show with your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. Join us next time for more information that helps you live your best and healthiest life. Thanks for listening. Content on the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast does not constitute medical advice. Content contained in the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. Neither the company nor its owner, Heal, Nourish, Grow, LLC, nor any of the company's employees, agents, or guest speakers provide medical advice. The content provided on Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your medical provider with any questions about what health practices are right for you.